after being exiled from their homeland for nearly 2,000 years, the Jewish people are migrating back to the Promised Land. Through multiple waves of immigration and natural growth, millions of Jewish people now live in the land God gave them by way of a covenant. Now, against all odds and still under daily threat, There's a nation called Israel whose residents have been regathered from the nations. The Hebrew language has been reborn, and Israel is a flourishing state in the Middle East. Today, we continue our exploration of modern Israel and again ask the question, What does God have to do with modern Israel? You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name's Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being your host for today, as well as serving as the Executive Director of Life in Messiah International. Since 1887, Life and Messiah staff have been faithfully, passionately, and diligently proclaiming the good news to our Jewish friends all over the globe. You can learn more about the work that God is doing through our staff by visiting us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, on the first installment of this series, titled The Rebirth of Israel, we made four major observations about today's modern Israel. The first observation is that God has promised to regather the Jewish people back to their ancient homeland. Although clearly taught in numerous passages, our primary reference that we looked at was Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. God says the following through the prophet Jeremiah, quote, However, take note, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but rather, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of the north and from all the other lands where he had banished them. For I will return them to their land that I gave to their ancestors. End quote. We also referenced Jeremiah chapter 31, where the same promise of a worldwide regathering is stated. Our second important observation, we also learned from Jeremiah 16, but from the next two verses, verses 16 and 17. Jeremiah tells us the primary means of regathering, namely persecution. Verses 16 and 17 say the following, quote, I'm about to send for many fishermen. This is the Lord's declaration. And they will fish for them. Then I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my gaze takes in all their ways. They are not concealed from me, and their guilt is not hidden from my sight. End quote. These hunters are persecutors of the Jewish people. You see, God will allow persecution for a purpose. And in this case, the purpose is to regather his people to their ancient homeland. Our third observation is the recent waves of immigration. These recent waves of immigration started in the early 1880s, And it is historically documented 
that these waves of immigration over the last 150 years have taken place primarily because of persecution. It appears we are watching a regathering of the Jewish people to their ancient homeland take place before our very eyes. The fourth observation is that the region that was then known as Palestine was characterized by agricultural ruin, radical depopulation, absentee landowners, and multiple ethnic groups. The land was in great need of a people to settle it and cultivate it. We made the important related point that the Jewish people did not steal the land. They purchased the land from absentee landowners for exorbitant prices. The tale that the Jewish people took the land by force is not historically accurate. It's a libel. On today's episode, we'll cover three more critical observations about Israel's rebirth. First, we will see the necessity of Israel's rebirth in order for events of Daniel chapter 9 to be fulfilled. Second, we'll see that the current gathering of Jewish people from all over the world back to their ancient homeland is the first of two gatherings promised in Scripture. And third, we'll see that Ezekiel's dry bones vision in chapter 37 describes the Jewish people being regathered in stages in unbelief, just as we see today. Our first observation is a quick one. It comes from the ninth chapter of Daniel, verse 27. Quote, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. End quote. While we don't have time to explore all of Daniel 9 today, I will just say that Daniel 9.27 is specifically about the final covenant that the Antichrist will make with the nation of Israel. Let's walk back through the verse again, line by line. Daniel 9.27 says, He will make a firm covenant. The he in this passage is referring to the future Antichrist. And he will make a covenant, or a contract, or agreement. And he will make it with the many for one week. Who are the many here? The many are the nation of Israel. But in the middle of the week, or in the middle of the seven years, he, the future Antichrist, will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Okay, we're not going to get in the weeds here, but we can make two obvious observations about this passage. Number one, in order for a future Antichrist to make a contract or covenant with the nation of Israel, there must be a nation of Israel. Up until 1948, the Jewish people had no representative government in order to make this kind of agreement with a future world leader. So, it goes to reason, there must be a nation of Israel in order for a covenant to be made between Israel and the future Antichrist. The second obvious observation is that there must be a future temple that is rebuilt in order for the temple to be defiled by the future Antichrist. That's what it says here. In the middle of the week, or the seven years, the Antichrist will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, 
and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple. So, to summarize, there must be an Israel in order for Israel to make an agreement. And number two, we also know there must be a future temple in order for the temple to be defiled. When is this temple going to be built? The scriptures do not say exactly, but we do know that it must be built before the middle of the tribulation period. That leaves a couple different options. Number one, the future third temple may be built before the tribulation period even begins, before the covenant is signed. Or, number two, perhaps the covenant has a stipulation that allows for the temple to be rebuilt on the temple mount. In that case, the temple would be built quickly, before the midpoint of the tribulation period. We'll have to wait and see how the timing of that plays out. In addition, there's also a New Testament passage that talks about this same event. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes about the coming of the Lord and the coming of the future Antichrist. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul writes the following, quote, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter, as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. There, Paul refers to the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Verse 4, he continues, He, the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. End quote. There we have the same implication as what Daniel wrote, namely, that in order for the future lawless one, the future Antichrist, to sit in the sanctuary, that's the temple, there must be a future temple. This is how we know there's going to be a third temple that's going to be built. We just don't know the exact timing of the building of this third temple. As believers in Israel's Messiah, I don't see any reason why we should be excited about the future third temple. Certainly, believers should have no part, in my opinion, of contributing to building the third temple. Now, why do I say that? Because the third temple is going to reinstitute sacrifices. As believers, we believe there's been the once and for all sacrifice. These future sacrifices are not offered in faith. And the third temple is going to be defiled by the Antichrist. And ultimately, it'll be completely destroyed when the Messiah ushers in his kingdom. If you're interested in the fourth temple, now that's a whole nother story. Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 talks about a future temple that will be dedicated to God. It will be holy, and Jesus will establish this fourth temple. We should get excited about a future temple, yes, but not about the third temple. If you're interested in learning more about that fourth temple, we have a podcast dedicated to Ezekiel's future temple. That's the name of the podcast. You can find it at lifeandmessiah.org or anywhere else you get your podcasts. In summary, our first observation today 
is that there must be a future state of Israel in order for Israel to make a covenant with the future lawless one. Now, our second observation is that the current regathering of Jewish people from all over the world back to their ancient homeland is actually the first of two gatherings promised in Scripture. There are three different texts that we will reference that teach this reality. The first two texts have to do with Israel being regathered in unbelief. That's the first regathering. The second gathering is Israel being regathered in belief for the purpose of blessing. For that one, we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's read about Israel being regathered under the rod of oppression, which is the current gathering that we see today. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 32 to 38, say the following, quote, When you say, Let us be like the nations, like the peoples of other countries, worshiping wood and stone, what you have in mind will never happen. As I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I will rule over you with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, and outpoured wrath. I will bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you were scattered with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, and outpoured wrath. I will lead you into the wilderness of the peoples and enter into judgment with you face to face. Just as I entered into judgment with your fathers, In the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will also purge you of those who rebel and transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they live as foreign residents, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know I am Yahweh. Now, a couple observations there about Ezekiel 20, 32-38. Notice, this is God bringing the Jewish people out from the peoples where he has scattered them with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, and outpoured wrath. And verse 35 tells us that it's for the purpose of entering into judgment with them there face to face. The next chapter, Ezekiel chapter 22 verses 17 to 22, declare the same truth. There we read the following, quote, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are copper, tin, iron, and lead inside the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, Because all of you have become dross, I am about to gather you into Jerusalem. Just as one gathers silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into the furnace to blow fire on them and melt them, so I will gather you in my anger and wrath, put you inside, and melt you. Verse 21. Yes, I will gather you together and blow on you with the fire of my fury, and you will be melted within the city. As silver is melted inside of a furnace, so you will be melted inside the city. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, have poured out my wrath on you. Again, Ezekiel 22 tells us the sober reality that God will gather the Jewish people for the purpose of judgment. He will gather them just as a smelter gathers different metals and refines them in the fire. So God is going to do that with the people of Israel. They are his people, and he is going to bring them into the bond of the covenant. That's the new covenant, by the way which the new covenant promises 
Israel's full restoration to the Lord on a spiritual level and a physical restoration back to the land on a physical level. Now, in contrast to Ezekiel's description of a regathering from the nations for judgment, of a regathering of the nations under God's rod of discipline for the purpose of refining them, we also see a description of a regathering from Isaiah, but it's set in the context of blessing. And there is a number given to this particular regathering. Isaiah chapter 11 is a wonderful chapter. It talks about the reign of the Davidic king in the future messianic kingdom. We see in verse 6 of chapter 11, quote, The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fatling will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. None will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Obviously, we're talking about a future time here. This is not Israel today. This is not the earth today. Isaiah chapter 11 talks about the future 1,000-year reign of the Messiah from Jerusalem where there will be harmony between animals, there'll be harmony between animals and mankind, and if someone happens to die at 100 years old, they're considered a youth. It's going to be a glorious time. And if you're interested in learning more about that future Messianic kingdom, I invite you to listen to the podcast called The Return and Reign of Messiah. Again, you can find that at lifeandmessiah.org. Going back to Isaiah chapter 11, we're on verse 10. It says, On that day the root of Jesse, that's Israel's Messiah, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. Obviously, the context here of Isaiah chapter 11 is one of blessing. It's one of blessing in the future where the Messiah is reigning from Jerusalem. And that's where we see a key piece of information in verse 11. It says this, quote, On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamat, and the coasts and islands of the West, the remnant of his people who survive. Verse 12, he will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. End quote. Obviously, Ezekiel talks about a regathering under the rod of discipline for the purpose of refinement. Here, Isaiah talks about a regathering and calls it a second one, and its context is one of blessing, not oppression and judgment. In his book, The Footsteps of Messiah, a study of the sequence of prophetic events, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says the following about these two different gatherings. Quote, There are two types of regathering prophecies, a regathering in unbelief and a regathering in faith. This passage in Isaiah shows there cannot be several regatherings in unbelief from the four corners of the earth. In the context of Isaiah 11.11 through 12.6, Isaiah is speaking of the final worldwide regathering in faith in preparation for blessing. Isaiah numbers the final worldwide regathering in faith in preparation for the Messianic kingdom 
as the second one. In other words, the last one is only the second one. If the last one is the second one, how many can there be before that? Only one. The first one could not have been the return from Babylon, since that was not an international regathering from the four corners of the world. Only a migration from one country, Babylonia, to another, Judea. The Bible does not allow for several worldwide regatherings in unbelief. It allows for one worldwide regathering in unbelief, followed by the last one, the one in faith, which is the second one. This text only permits two worldwide regatherings from the four corners of the earth. Therefore, the present Jewish state is very relevant to Bible prophecy. End quote. I think Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum is spot on with his observation that there are two gatherings mentioned, and the gathering for blessing is the final one, and it's labeled as the second one. And therefore, what we're seeing today with the current state of Israel a worldwide regathering must be the first one. It's becoming clearer and clearer that the rebirth of the Jewish state has God's fingerprints written all over it. When we come back, we're going to continue to see that as we take another look at Ezekiel's vision of dry bones in chapter 37. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We are talking about the rebirth of the modern state of Israel and asking and answering the question, does God have anything to do with modern Israel? And after making four observations in our first series and making two more today, it's becoming clearer. God's fingerprints are all over this situation. Therefore, it would likely behoove believers to pay attention to what's going on, to know the scriptures, and then to act accordingly. We have two more parts to finish up this series. First, we take a look at Ezekiel's dry bones vision in Ezekiel chapter 37. And finally, we ask, so what? So what if God is doing these things in the world today with modern Israel? So what if Israel is being regathered right before our eyes? What difference should that make for us? It's an important question, and we'll get to that right after we study Ezekiel chapter 37. For those of you who are longtime listeners of the Tove podcast, you know that we have already taken a deep dive into Ezekiel chapter 37, when in the summer of 2020, we released the episode titled Ezekiel 37 Explained. So, if our small study today on Ezekiel 37 does not quite quench your thirst, I encourage you to go back and listen to the episode, Ezekiel 37 Explained. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, says the following, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around among them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. Verse 4, he said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put my tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Now, at this point, we must state that we don't know who the bones refer to. We just simply know that Ezekiel is given a vision. There's a lot of bones in this vision. God asks him a question. Can these bones live again? Ezekiel wisely responds, Well, Lord, only you know the answer to that question. And so God says, I'm going to put breath into these bones. Now, the Hebrew word for breath is ruach, and it can mean wind, spirit, or breath. In this sense, it could mean either breath, but another really good translation is certainly spirit, because it's by God's spirit that things come to life. We know God says he's going to put tendons on these skeletons, he's going to make flesh grow on them, cover them with skin, and then he's going to put the spirit in them. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I'd been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. Now notice, it appears that there are certain steps taken here in this vision. There are what we might call stages where these bones first come together, bone to bone. Verse 8, As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. In other words, what Ezekiel sees here are perhaps millions of these skeletons that have stood on their feet, bone to bone, coming together, flesh on them, tendons there, but they're still dead. There's no life in them. So verse 9, he said to me, prophesy to the breath or the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then in verse 11, we have our identification of who the dry bones are. Now, this is very important because we use this illustration of dry bones coming to life again all over uh, the Christian world. We use it in worship songs. We might use it in a sermon. We might say, my dry bones have come to life again. That's fine. But when it comes to the context of this passage, we must understand that the primary meaning of the dry bones in the Bible is the following. Verse 11, he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. We may understand the illustration of dry bones coming to life again. We may use that illustration. That's wonderful. But let's also understand the primary teaching of the actual text of Scripture here. How many believers actually know that the dry bones refers to Israel? That's what it says right here. That's the clear meaning of the text. There's no reason to take it as anything else other than Israel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. 
Therefore, prophesy and say to them, verse 12, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the Lord's declaration. End quote. I would submit to you today that what we are seeing with the regathering of the Jewish people through these successive waves of immigration over the last 150 years or so is exactly the vision that Ezekiel sees. It is the whole house of Israel whose hope had been cut off, who said, Our hope has perished. I would submit to you that the stages of Ezekiel's vision here are coming together before our eyes in the form of Jewish people coming back to the land and a state being established, a government being there, a thriving democracy right where God said he would regather them in unbelief. Notice they will be regathered in unbelief. This is critical. We saw in Ezekiel chapter 20, they are regathered under the rod of oppression, in unbelief. Now we're seeing here again in chapter 37 that they are regathered in unbelief. They come together, the bones stand up, but they're lacking the spirit. That is a critical point. Sometimes I hear from people that, how can God have anything to do with Israel? They don't believe in Jesus. How can God have anything to do with Israel? It's not like it's going to be in the future when Israel will be flourishing and Jesus is reigning there. So what does God have to do with Israel today? God is regathering Israel back to the land today in unbelief, in preparation for the rod of judgment, for the refinement of Israel. It's exactly as the Bible describes. If we pay attention to the text, we can see that there are two gatherings, one in unbelief for judgment and refinement. The other one, the second one, is for blessing. So what? What do we do with Israel today? Well, thankfully, the New Testament, and specifically the Apostle Paul, tells us how we should relate to Israel today. Yes, they are a nation largely cut off from the Messiah. Certainly not all of them. Paul says there's always a remnant of faithful Jewish people by God's grace. But the vast majority of the nation of Israel is indeed cut off from Messiah. So what do we do with that? Do we have a disdain for the Jewish people because that's a reality? In Romans chapter 11, verse 2, Paul tells us, quote, God has not rejected his people whom he has chosen or foreknew. God's not rejected Israel. He's not rejected the Jewish people. He's still working with them, even though they are largely in unbelief, just as the scriptures predicted. Despite Israel being largely in unbelief, Paul still desired their salvation, and so should we. He says in verse 13 of chapter 11, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. In view of the fact that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. In Romans chapter 10 verse 1, Paul tells us, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. And then Paul goes on to tell us about the wonderful future in store for the people of Israel. Not only has God not rejected them, but he's not given up on his promises to them. He's not given up on bringing them into the bond of the covenant. 
which is stipulated in the new covenant promises of Jeremiah chapter 31. That's why in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. That's another name for Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, even though popular theology might not claim it so, God is still working among the nation of Israel today. Not only is he bringing Jewish people to faith, and we see this at Life in Messiah. Other Jewish ministries report on this. God is moving among the nation of Israel. Inroads are being made into the Jewish community in the digital realm and by way of relationship. I wish I could share with you some of the stories of religious Jewish people that have come to faith in the last few years. But in order to protect them, in order to to keep their stories private in their own, I don't share those things. But would you pray? Would you pray for the ministry of life and Messiah as we continue to labor among the Jewish people all over the globe? Would you pray for our efforts in the digital realm as Jewish people engage with us by chatting and by watching our videos and reading articles? Would you pray for our staff that they would be encouraged as they meet with unsaved Jewish people? It's tough work. All missions work is tough work. We're battling against the world and the devil. So your prayers are needed. You may not know any Jewish people besides the Lord Jesus himself. You may not have the opportunity or the ability to go to a Jewish community and share the gospel. But perhaps the Lord would have you support those who can. Or perhaps you do have unsaved Jewish people in your circle of influence. And you've not yet shared the gospel with them. Maybe this week is the week to do so. I encourage you to ask the Lord, how should I share the good news with my Jewish friend? And if nothing else, just invite them over for a meal and share your testimony with them. The Holy Spirit is in charge of working in the hearts of mankind. He's in charge of bringing people to faith. And eventually, he will bring all Israel to faith. And you might have a part in that. I hope you've enjoyed this two-part series on the rebirth of Israel. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, or head on over to lifeandmessiah.org. Thank you so much for your prayers and support as we continue to reach the lost from the house of Israel until the Lord Jesus comes. Until next time, Shalom.